You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we speak with Ayodele Okewo, who is CHIPS Intergovernmental Affairs at the U.S. Department of Commerce. We discuss how the CHIPS Program Office plays a crucial role in the semiconductor industry, supporting development and manufacturing of CHIPS in the U.S. We also learn how the CHIPS Program supports research and development initiatives in emerging technology areas such as AI and automation. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gov Future Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And we have been on a roll recording so many podcast interviews with government thought leaders. And as you may have seen, uh, not listened <laughs> to it, virtually seen it, uh, we have been covering quite, quite a spectrum of government and public sector thought leaders, including federal, state, local, international, even some of our industry thought leaders who are doing some really cool and innovative things in their various different parts of the ecosystem. And the reason why is because innovation in the public sector is everywhere. And while we cover all of that innovation, whether it's AI or automation or IT modernization or cyber, even a little bit of quantum here and there, all sorts of technology uh, analytics, all that good stuff, there's lots of great innovation happening in the public sector. And that's what we do here on the Gut Future podcast to share that and help our listeners and our Gut Future members learn the latest innovations and best practices to stay ahead of innovation in the public sector. And in case you're not familiar with the GovFuture community, GovFuture is the fastest growing community of government innovators. You can learn more at GovFuture.com, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. We also, in addition to our podcast, do a number of other things, one of which is a GovFuture forum that we run in D.C., and we were lucky enough to have uh, today's guest with us at one of those forums, and I'll link to that in the show notes if you weren't able to join but for today's podcast, we're so excited to have with us Ayodele Okewu, who is the Director of Intergovernmental Affairs for CHIPS at the U.S. Department of Commerce. So welcome, and we're so excited for this podcast today. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Ron. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, as you mentioned, I was uh, uh, honored to participate in a previous uh, GovFuture forum, and so it's great to keep that uh, relationship uh going um, as you know you you all stand up all these uh, great engagements and uh, partnerships with uh, partners both private and, and uh, public yeah thanks so we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role now at chips absolutely um so uh like you said kathleen my name is Idelio okaywo i serve as director of intergovernmental affairs uh, here at the chips office uh, which is part of nist which is part of uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce. Um, in this capacity, I lead on engagement with, or me and my team lead on engagement with uh, state and local elected leaders. So anywhere from governors to state legislators to mayors to city council members to county executives, um, all uh, elected leaders who are uh, working in their various capacities and jurisdictions to advance um uh, ecosystem uh, development with respect to the semiconductor industry. Um, also, uh, in my purview is a lot of uh, partnership and collaboration with um, other key stakeholders. So, uh, you know, 
outside of uh, my typical work with a mayor or governor, I may also get pulled in to, to work with, uh, you know, industry co- coalitions, economic development organizations, um, academia in certain situations, the list really goes on. Um, so it, we're really uh, in the mix when it comes to uh, implementation of this uh, really historic uh, program. How, how I got here. So I've been at the CHIPS office for coming up on a year and a half. Um, my, I think the first uh, CHIPS email I sent was, uh, I think, the 26th of August, uh, 2022, um, which was about uh, two weeks, two and a half weeks after President Biden signed uh, the Bipartisan Chips and Science Act in 2022. So um, my introduction was was very rapid. It was a trial by fire. I was actually um, uh, sent to the CHIPS office uh, as part of the transition team to help uh, stand up uh, the external affairs function uh, for the CHIPS office. Uh, my, my previous role was doing similar intergovernmental affairs work, uh, but with a different uh, uh, bureau within the Department of Commerce. So I was actually at the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, um, helping them implement the uh, uh, Internet for All initiative, part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, and so uh, I think in, in total, you know, I've, I've been uh, at the Commerce Department uh, for going on a year and seven or eight months. Um, I've, I've gotten a great opportunity to work on two really, uh, big, really important, uh, uh, po- uh policy, uh, implementations. Um, you know, before this, I, uh, served on uh, several campaigns, um, uh, ranging from, you know, city council to the presidential level. And before that I worked as a management consultant in DC. And, uh, funny enough, I also spent some time here at the department of commerce in that capacity. Um, I was actually working in the office of cybersecurity, um, in the office of the chief information officer. Um, so it's a little bit of a full, uh, full circle moment uh, to be back at Commerce. I'm, I'm uh, doing a, a different type of work now, um, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, like I said, this is a really historic program and it's great to uh, kind of be on the, 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 the cutting edge of, um, you know, government efforts uh, in not just uh, industrial policy, but in really uh, influencing and uh, progressing the efforts with emerging technology. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it is very exciting. Exciting times, kind of unusual times also <laughs> in the world, but uh, unusual times for the government because there's just so many, you know, priorities and pressures and uh, it feels like everything is just accelerating. You know, it's not just that technology changes here, but the technology change itself is accelerating. It may just be perception, but actually it is reality because a lot of these things are kind of coming on top of each other, whether it's the semiconductor manufacturing industry, artificial intelligence, analytics, drones, quantum, automation, cybersecurity. I feel like I can keep going on and on and on. And it's just everything just kind of compounds, which is both interesting, exciting and scary and challenging at the same time. Uh, and I think that's kind of interesting. And I think, you know, this is sort of where I think your program office comes into very interesting alignment with a lot of these technology trends, because I think every single one of those trends is based on the digital economy, which, of course, rests on the backs of semiconductors and the chips industry. So the chips program office, what what your office does, it plays a crucial role in this semiconductor industry. So maybe you can explain a little bit about the CHIPS program and why it's important and how it supports the manufacturing development, sort of like where it came from, sort of like what the genesis was and how does this translate into some of those 
accelerating technology trends that I was uh, just talking about. Yeah, Ron, that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, I think you almost answered a little bit of your question with, with, uh, with that context, because, you know, I think that that confluence of, of trends, uh, both industry and economic and otherwise, um, really precipitated the environment uh, that allowed us to, uh, as a nation, uh, pass uh, this level of legislation um, to to influence industrial policy um, with respect to uh, to uh, leading technologies like this. And so, you know, if 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 you asked uh, the layperson, the ordinary person on the street, you know, three or four years, I'd say four years ago, you know, what a, what a chip was, um, they would probably start listing, you know, tortillas or uh, or or lays or you know plantain chips or you know so- something like that, right? Um, it's, it's very different now, right? We, we all had a crash course um, during the pandemic uh, when it came to uh, you know, global supply chain shortages and, and understanding what those choke points really meant when it came to us having our hands on uh, you know, uh, consumer electronics or devices or automobiles that we were used to having direct access to. Uh, we all started to realize that, oh, you can have this uh, vehicle um, almost 100% complete uh, sitting on a factory lot. Um, but I can't actually go and get it from the dealership because it's missing that uh, microprocessor uh, that's that's critical for its, uh, for its electronic system. And so I think, you know, almost every single person had a crash course in that. And then when you throw in, you know, emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, um, you know, before the before you know we we started recording, you, you mentioned quantum, um, you know, things like that that are really just uh, moving uh, forward so quickly um, uh, uh, right now. Uh, it, it really did create the environment that uh, required us to to move assertively uh, with respect to uh, to to supporting um, our our national ambitions uh, with these diff- different different uh, technologies, and so. You know, when you look at, you know, 1990, uh, which was, uh, forget my math right, I mean, you know, 33 years ago, uh, we were producing about 40% of the uh, global chip supply. And if you look at where we are now, it's about 10 to 12%, depending on uh, the data source. And so there's been a significant drop off. And then when you think about, you know, some more recent uh, technologies, so, you know, the, the iPhone or the smartphone that you might have in your hand, um, which, you know, came into prominence, I think, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, you know the, the the chip that the microprocessor that drives that uh, piece of technology. Um, we don't we don't produce any of those chips here in the United States. Uh, those are all produced in uh, different different parts of the world. And so you know whether it is you know uh, global supply chain shortages and uh, uh, issues uh, that we experienced uh, during the pandemic, or you know national security issues as far as you know critical um, the military uh, systems that require uh, chips that are produced abroad. Um, it's both the economic security issue and a national security issue as well. And so uh, that that has really created an environment where we need to uh, to uh, again act assertively to to change that dynamic. And then, you know, going back to your point about all of the uh, the various technologies that are just really booming right now, right? Uh, America uh, has always played a leading role in future innovation. Uh, you know, when we think about the integrated circuit, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I travel a lot across the country and I meet a lot of folks in different states who will argue and 
uh, uh, debate to the death that their state invented the integrated circuit. But I think all all of us can agree that you know the integrated circuit was invented in the United States, right? Um, and we have just lost grip on the ability to manufacture those chips at the leading edge. And if we cannot, you know, manufacture those chips, we definitely can't uh, continue to maintain that leadership as far as the design and the research and development around those uh, um, technologies. And so uh, if we want to, to maintain that leadership position, um, not just in the design piece of it, but also the you know, production side of it, uh, we have to invest in, in, in uh, future innovation leadership here in the United States. And so um, that's kind of the, the long-winded way of, you know, of weaving uh, the, the, the different trends that led to a place where uh, our United States Congress, which you know, sometimes does not agree, agree uh, on a bipartisan basis on, on many things, they agreed on a bipartisan basis that passing legislation to um, reshore American uh, chip manufacturing and to uh, maintain a, and, and further our leadership on research and development was a key economic and national security uh, priority. Uh, and so um, that, that, that takes it back to, you know, that date on August 9th of last year when President Biden signed that bipartisan uh, bill. And so that has created this office. And we've gone from zero people on August 9th last year to about 140, 150 people today um, working across different verticals. There are people like me who are uh, uh, helping lead on external government affairs, working with uh, key stakeholders to, you know, mobilize the uh, the whole of society uh, effort that we need um, to take advantage of this moment. We also have folks who, um, you know, uh, come from the semiconductor space. Um, you know, many worked in uh, fabrication facilities and supply chain facilities uh, at, at some of the biggest companies in the world um, and are here, uh, um, you know, really uh, uh, providing uh, technological leadership as far as uh, our program design and the applications we're reviewing. Uh, we have a team leading on strategy uh, to ensure that, you know, everything that we do as a program office uh, does match up with uh, those overarching goals I mentioned as far as economic security, national security, and um, future innovation. And then we have, of course, an investment team that is negotiating, you know, seven days a week uh, with uh, potential applicants to ensure that we are investing in projects that are going to uh, materially increase our ability to, to compete globally uh, with respect to, to the semiconductor industry. So uh, a lot has happened uh, since uh, the, the, the bill was passed and signed into law. And, um, you know, it, it again, to your point, it was a confluence of, of trends, both uh, political um, and economic and honestly, um, industry as well, uh, that led us to this moment. Yeah, lots of exciting things. You know, I mean, to think it's only been around for a little over a year and all that, you know, you've done so far and grown uh, really rapidly. So maybe can you share with us with the timeline of the CHIPS program, including some key initiatives maybe that are on the horizon? So we've talked about, you know, what we've done up to now, but maybe we can talk about the future a little and what's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just to quickly recap uh, where we are from a programmatic milestone standpoint, um, we released our first notice of funding opportunity, just to remind folks, February of this year, um, that was for commercial uh, chip, uh, chip makers. Um, so uh, producing chips, uh, both at the leading edge, but also at the current and uh, uh, mature generation node, and then also making investments in facilities. Um, uh, for you know uh, 
testing, assembly, backend, events packaging, things like that. And so um, that funding opportunity was in February. We then had an amendment in June to allow large-scale suppliers, um, so equipment manufacturers, material suppliers, making capital investments above $300 million uh, to also be eligible for that first funding opportunity. Uh, just last month, actually almost uh, exactly a month ago, we released our most recent funding opportunity. That is for smaller suppliers and small businesses making uh, supply chain investments um, below that $300 million threshold. Um, and so these are all, you know, really core priorities when it comes to uh, using these taxpayer dollars to incentivize uh, investments across the supply chain here in the United States. Um, we're really excited um, in the coming months to release a third notes of funding opportunity. This is going to focus on R&D facilities, um, also tied to the commercial supply chain. Um, this is going to be part of the $39 billion uh, manufacturing incentives pot, not the $11 billion R&D pot. So this is tied to the supply chain and materially increasing our ability to, to uh, produce chips in the, here in the United States. And so that funding opportunity, folks are working diligently on that right now. Um, so we're excited to, to share more uh, in the coming months with respect to um, actual release dates and things like that. Uh, we are also uh, on a dual track. I mentioned the $11 billion for R&D. We have four uh, key uh, areas uh, when it comes to that $11 billion of R&D uh, funding that's available. Um, I would say the focal point is uh, the National Semiconductor Technology Center. Uh, it's actually been a pretty busy month uh, for the NSTC. Um, we, I think in the last month or so, uh, we announced our selection committee. The selection committee was responsible for identifying a board of trustees. That happened. Uh, this past month. And so there is officially a board of trustees for the NSTC, which is a pretty huge milestone. Um, so that board of trustees is going to be responsible for actually standing up the, the operator uh, for the NSTC and the independent uh, entity uh, that will run um, as, as the NSTC outside of the Department of Commerce. So that's that's coming pretty soon. We, we expect that process uh, to continue uh, through the fall. So we're really excited about that. Um, because, you know, we, we consider that, like I said, we consider the NSCC the, the focal point. This is going to be the public-private partnership, uh, which is going to have really broad membership um, uh, with respect to the semiconductor ecosystem. So it's not just going to have the chip makers. It's also going to have uh, the suppliers. It's also going to have the end users and the customers. It's also going to have academia, obviously, uh, nonprofits and philanthropies. Um, it's going to have um, uh, sort of a broader a broader base of membership than uh, we've we've typically seen um, in this space. So we're really excited about that. Um, and we want to work with uh, stakeholders um, uh, acro across the country, across uh, sectors, across um, uh, the, uh, the federal government um, to ensure that it does have that robust input and uh, feedback when it comes to, to, to program design. Um, there's also a lot of news coming uh, on the advanced packaging side, uh, so we have um, we're going to have a uh, national advanced uh, packaging and uh, manufacturing program. Um, so that's uh, that we're going to be releasing more information on that uh, uh, shortly. Uh, we're, we also have uh, a director of uh, the Metrology Center, uh, so Dr. Marla Dowell, who was recruited from uh, NIST. We're very excited about that. And then, last but not least, uh, there's going to be investment in an effort to create up to three new Manufacturing USA institutes as well. And so um, there, 
um, as, as some of uh, the listeners may know, there's about 17 manufacturing USA institutes, which are research uh, centers and institutes across the country. Uh, these are either with private companies or with academia um, uh, using uh, the, the different technologies and uh, technological hubs of the respective locations and geographies across the country. And so we want to create at least uh, three more that will work directly with the CHIPS R&D office uh, to advance the semiconductor um, ecosystem and uh, efforts within this space. Um, and so those are those are all, uh, again, working on a parallel track alongside uh, what we're doing here on the manufacturing incentive side. So really excited about that. Yeah, that sounds, uh, that's, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of good stuff. And I think, um, obviously, you know, we're, we're looking for impact. So hopefully we'll, we'll start seeing the impact of this. And the, I mean, no things take time. Setting up a fab isn't certainly not a short amount of time and all these other things take time, but you have to invest and, you know, carry through that investment. So we definitely agree. It's hard not to agree with this, especially the cornerstone of Silicon Valley, well, is silicon. So uh, you got to invest in that. It's kind of ironic that we lose that component of what is the alternate name for the tech industry. People say Silicon Valley when they mean the whole tech industry. Ironic. It's a place. So um, it actually sort of brings us along to some of these advancements. So as you know, we talk about that. We talk about all this advanced technology all the time, emerging tech, AI, automation, all that sort of activity. So um, kind of how are you looking maybe specifically at some of these initiatives? Are you doing anything specifically to advance some of these things? You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about how the, the CHIPS program supports research and development in some of those emerging tech areas. Absolutely. And um, Ron, we're, we're singing from the same song sheet, and I love that. Um, we, we, we view CHIPS as foundational. Um, and, you know, whether it's artificial intelligence or uh, electric vehicles or quantum computing or, you know, w- whatever emerging technology you can think of, uh, it relies on semiconductors. And so uh, if we're not able to uh, materially increase our uh, our ability to produce uh, uh, chips at both the leading edge and also, uh, you know, at the current and mature node, uh, we are not going to be able to dictate the rules of the road uh, for all of these uh, emerging technologies. And so it's it's critically important. Uh, regardless of the specific sector um, that uh, ends up as the end user for these chips. And so when we think about these emerging, emerging technologies um, and how chips, uh, the chips programs are working to uh, really fortify that, um, that, that, that base for these technologies, we view the, the manufacturing incentives, uh, which I mentioned the 39 billion, as bringing the semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States. Um, and then we view the $11 billion for the research and development, which is a historic sum when we think about investment in future innovation here in the U.S., we view that as keeping the ecosystem here. And so, you know, as part of you know President Biden's investing in America agenda, we want to advance our uh, our, our competitiveness as a nation. Uh, we want to advance our technological our technological leadership, um, and we also want to again uh, dictate globally the rules of the road. Um, with respect to all of these different uh, emerging technologies. And so I, I, I touched on the, the NSTC, the National Semiconductor Technology Center. Um, you know, that alone is going to be a really ambitious public-private consortium. And I mentioned some of the different members who are going to come in uh, to converge. Um, I actually did mention investors are going to be a key part of that as well. Um, they're going to converge so that we can innovate, connect, and, and solve 
uh, problems with respect to these new technologies. And um, a big part of that is also ensuring that we are helping bridge the uh, the gap that a lot of innovators and um, entrepreneurs experience uh, when it comes to taking a great idea from uh, um, uh, the lab to uh, to the actual market. And so the NSCC is going to be positioned uh, to uh, support um, entrepreneurs and small businesses and innovators as far as transferring those new technologies to the market and not just, you know, uh, uh, you know, mechanically transferring them, but actually the speed of the transfer, because we know how important that is, um, uh, which you kind of alluded to, Ron, at the beginning. You know, there's advancements in, you know, deployed AI systems every time I wake up, right? There is advancements in, in battery technology when it comes to um, uh, supporting the electric vehicle space, you know, almost every t- every day we wake up. And so it really does come down to speed. And so the NSCC is going to play a big part in that. And also, like I mentioned, it's so, so important. I can't re- reiterate enough. It's so important for the United States to lead the way in the next generation of semiconductor technologies. Um, so again, quantum computing, material science, AI, um, you know, future applications we haven't even thought about. Uh, we have to be at the front and we have to be uh, uh uh, leading on defining the rules of the road. And so uh, when it comes to uh, things like the NSTC, we want to ensure that um, the educational institutions, the entrepreneurs, the uh, the investors, uh, the government and industry stakeholders, the customers, which are going to play a huge part in um, sort of dictating the uh, priorities uh, of this public-private consortium. Because at the end of the day, we have to ensure that we are um, iterating and, and innovating with respect to semiconductor technologies, but we have to also ensure that we are um, planning for uh, consumer demand and that we are uh, coordinating uh, with end users uh, to ensure that we are meeting uh, the needs of uh, the, the current market, but also honestly, the future market. And so I really can't emphasize the the, uh, the huge role that the NSTC is going to play, NSTC is going to play um, when it comes to um, uh, coordinating this 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 new uh, innovation ecosystem across different sectors. Yeah, that's great. You know, and definitely something uh, to keep an eye on for our listeners that are interested in this. At Good Future, we think it's so important to really, you know, have that collaboration and bring a lot of different minds and different points of view and different, uh, you know, government agencies and people in the ecosystem together, because that's really how you learn, right? Learn with others and collaboration as well. So it sounds like you're doing some of that, which is wonderful. But specifically, what role does advocacy and collaboration with different government agencies and stakeholders, you had touched upon that a little in your previous question, but maybe, you know, collaboration with government agencies as well. What does that uh, look like? And how does that play in the mission of the CHIPS program? Yeah, Kathleen, that's a great question. Um, you know, we we often talk about how uh, meeting the promise of this moment um, with uh, with these chips programs is going to take a whole society approach, um, and we have to take our own advice uh, on that. Right? Um, they, we are just one federal agency. Uh, the president has tasked us with working very closely with other federal agencies to ensure that we are not uh, being redundant that we are using every single lever available uh, to us to, to make this program implementation successful uh, and that we are uh, le- leveraging uh, um, historical efforts uh, uh, when it comes to 
other large uh, program implementations that the government has uh, tried and succeeded on. And so, you know, Secretary Raimondo, um, she's always been uh, clear about that. She always reminds us about that. Um, and she always uh, instructs us to, uh, to, to, to learn from uh, our experience, obviously, but also learn from the experience of, of others. And so, um, you know, I talk about uh, his historical precedent. You know, in the this is going a little bit far back, but I, I think it's it's a little bit relevant. You know, in the 1860s, um, you know, President Lincoln made historic investments in agriculture and created the the land grant university system to ensure America's food uh, security. And you know, the land grant uh, university system uh, still plays a huge role, not just in the food security space, but just across the board, even today. With respect to, to chips implementation, uh, they're a huge um, a stakeholder uh, in this uh, in this uh, ecosystem. And you know, in the, in the 1940s, you know, President Roosevelt and uh, President Truman they invested in our nuclear security, and they really pushed the boundaries of scientific scientific innovation um, during that process. And again, that was a whole of government approach. Um, and then, you know, we we use the phrase moonshot all the time. That obviously came from uh, President Kennedy's efforts uh, in the 60s uh, and ensuring that we were able to, to you know, pull society together, pull American society together to get a man on the moon by the end of uh, the decade, which we were able to do. And so that really created a boon of uh, new engineers, new scientists, you know, pilots, um, uh, manufacturing workers who propelled uh, uh, the entire country through uh, industrial exploits, economic exploits. Um, and national security uh, efforts as well, and so we've we've done this before. There is a uh, there's a roadmap uh, to working with federal agencies. Um, you know, one of the first things uh, that uh, President Biden did um, after the Chips Act was um, was signed into law was establishing a um, a council, an executive council within the the federal government. So this included uh, key agencies that were taxed tasked to work together um, to ensure alignment on chips implementation um, and to also ensure uh, uh, that we were, again, uh, leveraging all of our uh, respective um, uh, advantages and skill sets and uh, experiences uh, when it comes to making this uh, implementation a success. And so, you know, that council uh, is still meeting, is still working together, is still sharing information. Um, the the chips act the chips act of 2022 itself included funding that went to agencies outside of the department of commerce and so you know we got uh 50 billion dollars here at the chips program office and uh, the chips r&d office but uh the uh economic uh, the, uh development uh administration also got uh funding for uh, tech hubs and recompete um outside of commerce uh department of defense got funding uh, for the microelectronics commons. They actually just announced their first tranche of awardees, those eight hubs across the country. I think that announcement was about two weeks ago. Um, so there's there's a lot moving. The State Department uh, got funding as well. Uh, NTIA, uh, my, my previous home, uh, they got, I believe, $1.5 billion for a wireless innovation fund. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, coordination across government to ensure that, you know, we are not just catalyzing investments in the manufacturing supply chain, but that we're also 
uh, meeting the different opportunities and gaps um, across the uh, semiconductor ecosystem, which is, again, going to create that really strong foundation uh, for all of these different emerging technologies, which are uh, speeding ahead, which we want to play a, a real leadership role in. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's really important, leadership role. I mean, I think that sort of summarizes a lot of what we're talking about here, leadership role, not only in terms of of what you're doing and helping the industry, but what we want America to be, honestly, for those who are listening. I know we have international listeners as well. This is a little American-centric, but I think, obviously, it's from the perspective of rebuilding industry and growing industry and supporting industry. You know, I think the only real comment, you know, that I, that I have here before I transition us to the to the final question here, because we're reaching towards the end of this podcast, is I think some of it has to do with a lot of what you talked about in the 60s and the 50s and 60s and 70s about like civic mindedness and some of the big investments that have advanced science and engineering more globally. And, you know, while we definitely are outgrowths of the tech ecosystem and Kathleen and I, you know, we have had much experience, not just here in Gov and what we've been doing here with the Gov Future and our Gov Future podcast, but for those of you that know our background, we've been covering AI for a long time. And prior to that, the whole startup ecosystem, and I think I think perhaps what's happened is that uh, maybe maybe somewhat to our advantage, but not so much to our advantage. People don't focus so much on the short term, you know, whether it's uh, you know a unicorn startup that can you know grow out of the gates here and be big, but then it ends up returning really most of its value to the investors and to the shareholders, and a lot of that stuff kind of like disappears and and it, it has an impact on the world, but. I won't talk about the value of social media companies and how they go up and go down, but the chip's office, as much as we're talking about $50 billion is a lot of money, think about how much money was put into some of these uh, social media companies and then just kind of frittered away with like nothing to show for it afterwards. And uh, that money would be much better you know, spent doing what you're talking about. People talk about how much money the government is spending. And I'm like, well, let's not talk about billionaires and how much they're spending on pet projects that are who knows where the motivation i don't want to get into all that but i think this is where hopefully we can drive some of our listeners into being more civic mindedness thinking more about the medium to longer term play rebuilding industry that takes time and all that sort of stuff which of course leads us to kind of kind of maybe where we we, we are hoping things go right kathleen exactly so for our final question we always like to ask this of our guests because you're able to bring in your unique experiences and perspectives. So we get such varied responses, which I love. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and, and innovation in the government? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I, I, I do, I will say, Ron, that that point you made really does resonate uh, with me. And I'm sure with folks in this building, too. Um there has been a lot of investment, uh, both capital and effort um, with respect to, to software over the last uh, couple of generations. And, and it's, it's for great reason. I mean, there's been some really cool stuff happening on the software front, right? Um, but hardware is really important. It's, it's really, really important. And when we think about you know, our, our economic security and our, our national security, we do need to rebuild that uh, hardware muscle uh, as a country. Um, and I think that is uh, going to be really, uh, really, really important. And so I guess what I'm excited about, you know, there, there's been this push, uh, I think over maybe the last decade, decade and a half, 
uh, to get more young people interested in uh, in STEM. Um, and I, I think that has been uh, really, really worthwhile. I, I think now, however, we have a real opportunity as a country where, again, we've invested historic sums uh, in sort of reshoring that manufacturing muscle that this country is not uh, or hasn't been familiar with for a while. Uh, and we can uh, we can merge those two lanes. We can continue to excite kids who sort of have a natural inclination, obviously, to to things like computer science and um uh, 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 those, those areas because of, you know, video games and coding and things like that. But here we can now show that, look, we have an opportunity to produce things here in the, in the United States once again, which is going to be the foundation for all of these critical technologies that you are already passionate about. Um, and also, uh, you know, create a career that you can be excited about uh, for the long term. And I think, uh, that's a challenge that we need to really meet uh, because at the end of the day, you know, if you go across the country and talk to anyone about chips and about our ambitions to reshore manufacturing capacity, um, the the next thing that they're going to bring up is is the workforce uh, shortage, um, both you know in construction as far as building these facilities, but also as far as like you know uh, technicians and engineers and the folks who are actually working in these facilities. And I think it there is a uh, a thread that has to be connected back to uh, how we're getting young people and honestly non traditional um, quote unquote students excited about the prospects of having a career uh, in this space. And so um, when I think about uh, technical leadership uh, and how the United States can help influence that, it is by you know making uh, a hardware cool again. I think it's by continuing to, to further efforts in uh, STEM socialization, both uh, you know at the K-12 level, at the you know, community college level, at the four-year level, obviously, uh, but also with non-traditional students and non-traditional folks who are thinking about uh, different career changes. Um, and then it's about bringing that all together to ensure that, again, foundationally, we have that ability to produce these semiconductors here in the United States um, at the leading edge, that we're not relying on foreign countries uh, and and for and areas outside of the United States to to produce these chips, and it's not to say that we can't we have to do this alone. We're absolutely not doing this alone. We're working hand in glove with our friends and our allies um, across the globe uh, to ensure that again we're not being redundant with our resources. Uh, we're not the only country with the chip sack. Um, that we're working together to to really lean to our comparative advantages um, uh, here in the United States while working with our friends and allies. And so I think you know. That that was maybe a little bit broader um, than 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 what you asked, Kathleen. But that that's really you know what excites me and motivates me on a daily basis. I think if we can build that um, that uh, that co- that consensus um, and and that energy to to kind of mobilize um, again society to 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 be excited about the opportunity that we have now um, to 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 achieve this. Uh, kind of technological leadership, both on the design side and also on the, on the production side. Um, I think that's going to be a huge boon uh, for uh, for our national security prospects, but also importantly uh, for uh, you know people who are looking to, to 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 build a good life, to build a good career um, in in a space that's you know actually pretty cool. Um, and so that's that's one thing I'm really excited about uh, going forward. 
Well, that's very exciting. Well, we, we've enjoyed this podcast. We've really enjoyed this interview. As mentioned, we were uh, really pleased and thrilled to have you participate in person for those who are lucky enough uh, to be there at our GovFuture Forum DC event earlier this year in 2023, which we host, uh, as Kathleen mentioned earlier, live at the George Mason University Fuse location in Arlington, Virginia. That's still going on. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're welcome to join us. Uh, in November and in December, uh, we're we're doing more for our members. I do have to say, we are trying to make sure that we provide more of our member benefits. But hey, government folks, we want you to join and participate and be members in this fast and growing community of government innovators. But anyway, I just wanted to say thank you, Ayudeli. Thank you so much for participating, sharing your fantastic insights with our Gov Future podcast listeners. Uh, thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure and uh, looking forward to, to seeing y'all again, uh, hopefully in person. Yeah, absolutely. This has been such a wonderful podcast. So we want to thank you so much for joining. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also make sure to subscribe to Gov Future Podcasts so that you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. We have some incredible interviews lined up, and so you will get notified when they're released. If you haven't already, make sure to become a member of Gov Future so that you can take advantage of all that the community has to offer. To sign up, you can go to govfuture.com slash join, and I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. We also have tailored resources just for you, our GovFuture listeners, so that you can get insights into a wide range of the technologies that we discussed today and other topics as well. If you go to govfuture.com slash resources, you can check out all of our resources, including books that we recommend, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators. Go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.